back, folks. Yeah. Coming at you with episode 37 of the American Craftsman Podcast. Uh, in continuation of the Art Nouveau period. Yeah, we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, we're doing a, a three episode this time. It's, you know, the it's uh, a lot of artists and stuff. So. Yeah. And, you know, what comes next is traditional revival. Huh. Surprising. So that might be another brief foray as well because there's definitely some of these um periods have less relevant info than others yeah and then of course there's modern Mm -hmm. and that wraps up the that wraps up our series really that's it that's it yeah you sure not missing one more in there yeah if this is 37, we should be ending, we'll call it 38. There should be a 48, um, yeah, because, um, periods. There was one that was Sheridan that had, he was mixed. There That was a period that was covered under, uh, what was the same, uh, what was the period of, uh, Chippendale? Um, I don't know. Yeah, 12 periods of American furniture. It was just called Chippendale, was it? No. Well, maybe it was. Let's see. 12 periods of American furniture were early American, colonial, Pennsylvania Dutch, federal, Sheridan. So federal... Introduced Sheridan, then was American Empire, Shaker, Victorian, Arts and Crafts, Art Nouveau, where we are now. Then is just traditional revival and post-modern and post-modern. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's 12. So we just skipped Sheridan? Yeah, Sheridan, we went at, over fe- in the Empire. Yeah. Or, yeah. Federal. Federal, yeah. He was in the same... Um, yeah. I thought we did four episodes on Sheridan for some reason. Anyway, we better thank our sponsor, Bits and Bits. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Bits and Bits, uh, they <coughs> manufacture as well as sell uh, router bits, CNC router bits, handheld router bits, router table bits, any type of router bit you could think of uh, out in Oregon. Um, so they manufacture their own spiral bits, and they also, uh, which they apply their their proprietary Astro coating to, which is a nano coating that prolongs the... Uh, the sharpness of the tool, and they also are the only factory authorized, um, re- like, uh, what do I want to say here? Not re- they're not the only reseller of Whiteside, but they're the only company that's pro- uh, them. applying, yeah, this proprietary Astro coating to Whiteside bits. Um, <clears throat> so you get all the benefits of a Whiteside bit. You know, they make all kinds of different edge profile type stuff that Bits and Bits doesn't make but they're applying their coating to these white side bits. So you're getting the best of both worlds. Uh, they also sell Festool accessories. So your domino accessories, your router accessories, stuff like that. Uh, you want to save 15%, head over to their website, use our coupon code American Craftsman and uh, help support them, help support us. Yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. Uh, all right. So moving on into, excuse me, the, uh, Art Nouveau, where do we leave off? We find ourselves in the Netherlands. Yeah. I've always been confused about where the Netherlands is. Yeah, it's... Holland, I guess. Uh, Right? Yes. That's where vesting is is made. Oh, yeah, that's right. How come they just don't say Holland? I don't know. I don't... Why do they call it the Netherlands? We need, we need to know. And then what do they call, like, uh, isn't there another name for that area? Scandinavia, like Scandinavia. Scandinavia. It's like think Finland and Norway or some something. And Sweden, maybe. Yeah. Make your mind up up there in yeah. North northern uh, Europe. Yeah, that northwest corner there is a little bit wacky. Yeah. Uh, in Netherlands... In the Netherlands, Art Nouveau was called De Stijl. Hmm. I guess the style. That's my guess. 
Um, it was the leading furniture creator was architect Hendrik Petrus Berriage. And he denounced the 19th century, this is the 1800s, as the century of ugliness. I quote. Yeah, you don't know nothing about the 2000s. <laughs> he wrote, when you observe the interiors of homes, you can only shudder at the bric-a-brac, the new call an interior. <laughs> That's what we need, more outspoken designers like that. Yeah. Um, uh, now, uh, Rolage designed several notable buildings, including uh, the Boers van Borlage. Uh, this is the late 1800s, 1896 to 1903, in his distinctive geometric constructivist style. Uh, one of his doctrines of furniture construction was to respect the nature of the material. All right. Get behind that. He refused to shape wood into curving forms since wood, he said, should not be treated as if it were metal. Hmm. Mm. I mean, it, wood is more natural. I mean, metal doesn't naturally have any shape. It's like a freaking. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at a tree, it's got plenty of curves. Yeah. Um, it's only straight because that's the way the Sawyers cut it. Right. And metal is like a freaking a vein of ore yeah, yeah. inside of some some other rock. So decoration uh, on his pieces were provided. Uh, through metal ornaments, but even these disappeared and his chairs and other pieces became wholly geometric. The definitive transition of the nature-inspired Art Nouveau furniture to the geometric, purely functional, the steel, came in 1917 in the furniture of Jarrett Thomas Reitveld, particularly the red and blue chair. And there it is, huh. the red and blue chair. It's it is reminiscent of the Bauhaus style, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess starting to lean towards that uh, Danish modern kind of mm -hmm. stuff. It's interesting. I mean, it looks like a sculpture. Looks like something like a, a six year old made out of blocks. Yeah, yeah, kind of like um, uh, uh, an interpretation of like an Adirondack and a Morris chair. And a real minimalism, sort of artistic. It's got a real, like, Mondrian thing going on. Yeah. I mean, I like the flat arms. Interesting. The red and blue chair. Yeah, I don't like it. Um, so... That's what's going on up there in the in the great Northwest. While in Italy, we have Stile Liberty in Turin and Milan. Uh, it took its uh, Stile Liberty took its name from Arthur Lansby's Liberty and the story founded in 1874 in London, Liberty Department Store. It's funny that the Italians um, name their uh, yeah after an Englishman. Yeah, their style after and um, the Liberty Department Store specialized in importing in importing ornaments, textiles, and art objects from Japan and the Far East. Hmm. With a name like Liberty, <clears throat> yeah, uh, an important center of the new style was the city of Turin, which in 1902 hosted a major expo, Torino, Torino 1902. The expo was devoted to the international decorative arts of the new century. Grand Torino. Yeah. We don't really have anything like that anymore, do we? Do they do these expos? Yeah, KBIS. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess. Uh, the dominant figure in Italian furniture design and star of the 1902 Turin Exposition was Carlo Bugatti, the father of the celebrated automobile designer Ettore Bugatti. Hmm. His pieces of furniture were in exactly the opposite of the geometric and functional furniture 
of the Jugendstil and the Vienna Secession. They were essentially works of sculpture and decoration. Their function, whether as a chair or cupboard or a dining room table, was entirely secondary. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I put the exclamation point there. <laughs> oh, yeah. His works included the snail chair, wood covered with painted parchment and copper, and an extraordinary sofa of wood and parchment decorated with paint fringe, and incrustations of brass. The spaces for seating were almost entirely hidden by the decoration. Check out the snail chair. That's it. Where? That I know. It's, that's it on the left. No. Oh, this. Yeah. I'm like, this does not look like a chair. Hmm. I, I, when I... Uh, I didn't realize that was the snail chair either. I was expecting something else. Yeah. Um, I guess it kind of reminds me of a snail. It it's it's hard to even tell what material it's made out of. Yeah. It's almost like a stool with a a back, right? Yeah. Hard to explain. Bugatti. You got to look up his stuff. Uh, he, let's look at a Bugatti sofa. <laughs> what? <laughs> I see why this uh, style fizzled out real quick. Oh, my God. Because this is, looks like it's made out of trash, basically. Oh, no. Like found <laughs> objects, you mean? Yeah, like it's like a hubcap. Oh. Like, hey, we got some tassels here. We found these little things in the garbage. <laughs> we tacked them on there. This, uh, it's like, it's like two individual seats of and that are like circular with a, a bench suspended in the middle. This is, it's the weirdest looking thing. I mean, it really looks like a piece of folk art. Yeah. Like uh, some you see like Burning Man, you know, how they like, they cobble together these weird vehicles. Yeah. That's what it looks like. Um, Yeah. Like you might see this like uh, one of the chieftains in a Mad Max movie sitting on top of this. Yeah. Uh, It does have a little bit of like an African kind of like throne thing going on. Yeah. Or even maybe like Aztec. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And yeah, very weird. To see that that's lumped in with Art Nouveau. It, it's. Let, let's see the Bugatti desk. Oh, God. I didn't think it was getting worse. Calling <laughs> that a desk is pretty bold. Oh, I, it looks like the desk falls down. It looks like the yeah. the writing area. Which is just like a piece of stone, a round piece of stone. Um. So, yeah, I guess some of that's parchment. Copper. Uh, wood. I, I mean, it's entirely sculptural. And almost doesn't appear as a piece of furniture at all. And if we, if you get really close to it, I'm not sure the craftsmanship is all that great. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to tell. It's 100 years old. Yeah. It looks like really a crazy thing you might find in Pier 1. Yeah, I could see that. Like some of that like weird stuff at like Home Goods that's like mm-hmm. this gaudy kind of made in Malaysia or something. Yeah. And, like pulls from all these different styles. It's like something that would be in like the fifth element. The you know that movie? Yeah, yeah. Like some kind of like weird like desert uh based alien. Yep. I I I I'm out of, I mean, this, this is some of the craziest stuff we've seen. 
And it's like not, it's not even a desk. It's like something that would sit against a wall. It's got a mirror for the back and it just happens to have like a little like round 18 inch thing that folds down that you could potentially write on. Right. Like something about as big as you would put like an answering machine on or something. Answering machine. Yeah. That's for, a good point all, of reference for, for everybody. All, for all you old timers out there. If you're old enough to remember answering machines, you don't remember. You're too old to remember how big they were. <laughs> I I still have an answering machine. Oh my God. That's right. You know they have voicemail now, right? Yeah, but... For home phones. Do they? I've had that for 10, 20 years. Uh, yeah, I don't trust it. All right, we're still talking about the Italians. Coming off of Bugatti's unique designs, we have Eugenio Quarti of Milan was another figure of note in the Italian style. Uh... After an apprenticeship in Paris and working a brief time for Carlo Bugatti, he opened his own shop and atelier, which is a studio, and produced models which won recognition at both the Antwerp Exposition of 1894 and the first Turin Exposition in 1892. He enlarged his firm in 1904 and produced furniture for important Italian clients. His work was much simpler in style than that of Bugatti, but he also sought to create unusual forms and materials and delicate designs from inlays of brass and abalone shell. Hmm. Uh, I, uh, I guess I don't have any pictures of his stuff. I just had, you know, it's just... There's a little... That's kind of cool. Yeah, that's real interesting. Um, that looks like arts and crafts furniture to me. It, I, I, none of it looks like what we've seen as far as, um, you know, the main examples of Art Nouveau. Yeah, I could see this. Yeah. Almost look like those legs are federal, right? Yeah. yeah. Not much on Quarty. Uh, In Spain, moving next door from Italy, we have the Modernisme in Barcelona. Um, and uh, the Modernismo movement in Catalonia, which produced the most original designs led by architect Antonio Gaudi. Uh, the furniture designer Gaspar Homar Mesquida, oh, Homar Mesquida, that's his name, designed furniture that was inspired by natural forms, featuring the curving lines of the French and Belgian Art Nouveau with touches of Catalan historic style. Let's see some examples of Gaspar's work. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It's sort of like, uh, I don't even know what kind of piece of furniture this is. Like a, It's like a hutch. Yeah. This looks very Art Nouveau to me. Mm-hmm. The, definitely the inlay, the marquetry inlay of, yeah. you know, plants. But up top, These. it gets a little, uh, I mean, that carving is, is kind of traditional. Yeah. You know, the grapes, the grape leaves. Those those uh, spires. I mean, it's it's it is unique. I do like the beveled glass here. Yeah, like, yeah. The beveled leaded glass, which is not something I've seen before. Gaudi. It's you know it's got some interesting curves to it too, where you you don't necessarily see them and other pieces the way the the the, the top section is stepped back but it's attached with this bowed uh rail i guess mm -hmm. that's pretty cool yeah and here's a mosquito wow is this a bed? Um, you know, is 
that a footboard and a headboard, or is that? Looks like, yeah, maybe. Must be. They just have it on this yeah. small thing to, uh. And look at that little table off to the side. Yeah. So this. Reminiscent of Chippendale style carving. Mm-hmm. And what are those, what are those inlays? Like, is that somebody on a horse? Uh, yeah. So he's like the horse rearing stabbing up. somebody down here or something. Flaying a dragon. Maybe with, this like, looks is like, that a, like a jouster? Yeah. A lance? Yeah, there's a sword here. Interesting. Some monograms. Hmm. I like that chair. Yeah. I mean, it's really, uh, it's so light, the, the legs and everything in the back. It, it's, you know, the, the legs are gently curved and they're very thin. Mm-hmm. Here's another little piece by uh, Mesquita. Wow. Who does that remind you of? Uh, uh, well, if I look at the back, mm, just the back. A little splat. bit like Sheridan. Yeah. But, you know, like that, not the round uh, flowers, but that, that S curve yeah. kind of reminds me. Uh, of that period, and even the top rail, maybe more like a heppel white. Yeah. It's funny because these things are so different, I and they're all classified under Art Nouveau. Yeah. Well, folks, this is the time you've been waiting for. <laughs> We're going to discuss... The School of Nancy. Right? In France, as in Belgium, some early Art Nouveau furniture was designed by architects. After a visit to the hotel, do you say Tassel? Tassel? In Brussels, Hector Jumard created the first Art Nouveau apartment house in Paris, the Castel Beringer. A curious mixture mixture of Gothic revival and Art Nouveau elements. He also began designing sets of furniture with the naturalistic curves and decoration that were characteristic of the style. <laughs> this was good. Gumad Jumad declared that which must be avoided at all cost is anything that is continuous. Nature is the greatest builder, and it makes nothing that is parallel and nothing that is symmetric. Yeah, that's just, that's like not true, though. <laughs> no, <laughs> <clears throat> not true at all. <laughs> I mean, a leaf even is is symmetrical, isn't it? Yeah. Jumard's furniture, made for his own and other residences, highlighted the curving natural forms, and perfectly matched the architecture. So let's see some examples of Juma. Now, this is the School of Nancy, remember. Wow. That's pretty cool. That It's cool. It's wild. It's like a, a cat house, like one of those cat playhouses up on yeah, the wall. Or is that a mirror? I don't know. Uh, looks like it's a door. That's like a little. Is this a reflection of something, or is that a panel that has like fabric on it or something? I mean, it's. It looks like. I mean, it really resembles, without imitating. A tree of some sort, right? Like, yeah. 
Yep. Um, I mean, it's completely asymmetrical. It's got some really wild elements. I really like the handrails, the arm rails, or what you know, the the curve in them. Uh, that little shelf at the top. I, <laughs> yeah. I like the I like the 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 rail in the front underneath the seat. I mean, I like mm -hmm. that. There's a lot to like here, and it's very very uh, wild looking without being too crazy. I mean, it's it it really walks that line between a normal piece of furniture and having these. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Could you have that in your house? My house, no. The the one thing is like the the padding on the back is straight up and down, and it looks like a ninety degree angle with the seat, and there's not a lot of padding there. Hmm. It doesn't look like it'd be the the most comfortable thing to spend a lot of time on. Yeah, I feel like benches inherently are not something that yeah are meant to you know really be sat in. All right, let's see what else you got from this dude. Wow, this That's cool. It looks very similar to uh, that Spanish dude. Mm -hmm. Look at these little lily pads up here. Yeah, so it's like a another hutch kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, a hutch with the top section sort of almost looking like it's perched on like branches. Yeah, like it's like being lifted up by vines. Mm-hmm. Look at the sculpting in these doors. And yeah. The asymmetry, you know, this has this thing here going over here. Right, right. I gotta I like say, this, I like that. I like the base that it's sitting on. Yeah. I I really like this. I, yeah, I would love to, like, present something like this to <laughs> yeah, which takes so much time. Oh no! I mean, I want to see what their what their reaction would be. There's no yeah. way we could produce something like this and and make a profit. It'd be yeah. This costs hundred thousand dollars to build. Mm -hmm. No easy way to do any of this, really. No. Every element is you know unique and handmade. And yeah, everything is hand sh like shaped, you know. I mean, even the imagine, doors. Imagine trying to do this. Yeah, just this door with this little divided light, but it's a curved, all blended into its itself. Let's see if we can even see. I mean, wow, there's see, a joint there. Yeah, right here. Miter door. Mm-hmm. So they, you know, they glue it up and then just curve it, you know, sculpt it. That's crazy. Like none of the, like the corners, like the top corner is not even, uh, you know, a sharp corner. It's Yeah, it's like pillowed almost. Look at the work around like the handles and everything. Crazy. Wow. Wow. Like, who built it? That's what I want to know. I mean, he designed it. Did he build it? Let's see his chair. Well, it's definitely the same style, but so much more understated. Yeah. I guess you can only do so much with a chair. Yeah. I like the top. I like the shape of that top, you know, with the padding there. Is that like a motorcycle seat yeah. almost? Um, you know, is that leather with like? Yeah, this is this or leather, embossed, you know. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Um. Yeah, embossed or is that what they call it? Embossed leather? Yeah, I think Debossed so. Debossed leather or whatever. Embossed, yeah. 
mean, I, I, I really dig the curves of, of the work. Oh, look at that. Look at the, all of the, the carving and sculpting. Insane. Yeah, I'm, it's, I'd love to see the other chairs in that set. I mean, to see what the difference is between each individual chair. Mm -hmm. Like, how close are they? Right. Do the craftsmen try and mimic one, you know, chair to the next? So that's uh, Hector... Gumar, Jumard, G-U-I-M-A-R-D, out of Paris. Um, other notable French designers included Henry Bellery de Fontaine, who took his inspirations from the neo-Gothic styles of Violet de Le Duc. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, unless you're really well-informed, you probably never heard of these guys. Um, but this is all about discovering new stuff. Yeah, stick it out of your bubble. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is definitely pushing us out of our comfort zones. And uh, Edouard Colonna, who worked with art dealer Siegfried Bing to revitalize the French furniture industry with new themes. Um, their work was known for abstract naturalism, its unity of straight and curved lines, and its Rococo influence. That, that kind of sums it up. Mm. The most unusual and picturesque French designer of early Art Nouveau was Francois Rupert Carabine, a sculptor by training whose furniture featured sculpted nude female forms and symbolic animals particularly cats who combined Art Nouveau elements with symbolism. Hmm. Uh, another influential Paris furniture designer was Charles Plumet. Through his work, the old vocabulary and techniques of classic French 18th century Rococo, or just, yeah, is that right? Did I add an extra co? Rococo? Furniture were reinterpreted in a new style. The Nancy School. Oh, and we're just getting to the Nancy yeah. School. Yeah. Well, that was the lead up to the Nancy uh, School. Those were the Nancy boys. So, yes. An important center for Art Nouveau furniture design and manufacture was in Nancy in eastern France, where Louis Majorelle had his studios and workshops and where the Alliances des Industries d'Art, later called the School of Nancy, had been founded in 1901. Designers based their structure and ornamentation on forms taken from nature, uh, including flowers and insects, particularly the dragonfly, a popular motif in Art Nouveau design. Sure. Uh, and there you go. Majorelle especially used the water lily, an Egyptian symbol of eternal nature, which often appeared in sculpted and gilded bronze in the hardware and decoration of furniture. Um, and... Um, Jumar was using that water lily motif as well quite a bit. <clears throat> Majorelle made nature the central element, calling it a collaborator worthy of attention. But he also insisted that the structure of the furniture should be clearly recognized. <laughs> Unlike who? <laughs> Bugatti. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that the beauty of a piece of furniture came not only from its decoration, but from its elegant lines and correctly correct proportions. Leave it to the Italians to make it gaudy. <laughs> wow. That, that reminds me of that, um, that armoire that we liked so much, except, you know, it's a little bit, uh, definitely heavier uh, flouncy. Yeah. Super low slung bed. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Really, really high back uh, headboard, though. Yeah, a lot darker than a lot of the other Art Nouveau mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And, you know, gil it's gilded. Yeah, you have that, those gold elements. 
Here's another Marjorelle bed. Wow. That's pretty cool. This thing's also kind of hard to describe. I like this piece back here. Yeah. The side table. Yeah, it's like a little chest of drawers almost. Yeah, yeah. A lot of curves. Yeah. It's like some real quilted. And then this like abalone inlay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there there's almost no straight line. This thing. On any of this furniture, right? I mean, just the, on the bed, just the. The top of the, of the, you know, the side rails. Yeah, and only for a portion of it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, besides furniture, Majorell collaborated with the glass manufacturer Daum on the design of lamps and other glassware. In keeping with the spirit of the arts and crafts movement, he also established a factory making furniture in series for less wealthy clients. He used machines for the first phases of manufacture, but all the pieces were finished by hand. Hmm. I, I, I mean, that bed and those tables, that had to be like custom. Oh, yeah. There's nobody, no machine stuff on that. Other notable furniture designers of the Nancy School include, included Eugene Valine and Emile André, both architects by training, and both designed furniture that resembled the furniture from Belgian designers such as Horta and Van de Velde. We were not a big fan of Van de Velde's chair. No. Which had less decoration and followed more closely the curving plants and flowers. All right, so we're getting into the U.S. I guess that's the Nancy School. Majorelle was the main uh, proponent and component of mm -hmm. the Nancy School. Uh, it was a little um, uh, varied, I'll say. I, I couldn't quite put my finger on what the Nancy School was all about, as far except if we look at those beds as a major, major component. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's going on in the U.S. during the Art Nouveau uh, period? Uh, in the U.S., new furniture design at the beginning of the 20th century was largely inspired by the British arts and crafts movement, which in turn inspired the American arts and crafts movement, the craftsman style, uh, and then following that, mission style. One designer who introduced Art Nouveau themes was Charles Rolfs in Buffalo, New York whose designs for American white oak furniture were also influenced by motifs of Celtic art and Gothic art, with touches of Art Nouveau in the metal trim applied to the pieces. Let's check out a Rolf's chair. Whoa, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You have fumed white oak. Um, I get, these are metal, I guess? It could be, yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's maybe. not a... Well, it could be copper or something like that. How would you describe this chair to our many listeners? Um, the base kind of looks almost like a small little table, and then yeah. it's, it has the splat is like three inches wide, and then it flares out to you know whatever, maybe eight inches at the top, but it's very tall, like a. Trumpet shape, like, almost. Yeah, like, <clears throat> you know, the, the chair, a whole chair might be five feet tall. It's, yeah, it's pretty cool. That I see exactly what you're saying with the, the base, the seat part looking like a table. Yeah, like a little, uh, you know, it's like a little half round. Mm-hmm. Like a little entry table you might put against the wall, but it's faced the other way. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm liking these high back uh, chairs, I noticed. Yeah. Um, the most famous 
Art Nouveau designer was Louis Comfort Tiffany, best known for his lamps, jewelry, and stained glass. Um, he also designed some chairs and other pieces of furniture. I didn't know that. Me neither. Some of the chairs were overloaded with decoration and embroidery, but others were finely made and discreetly decorated with geometric inlays in the wood. Hmm. And although Frank Lloyd Wright's not considered an Art Nouveau architect, the early furniture he designed strongly resembled the geometric furniture of the Vienna Secession and other late Art Nouveau movements of the same period. Uh, we certainly saw that influence that the, the Glasgow School had on him. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the Vienna Secession. Um, it's an art movement closely related to Art Nouveau formed in 1897 by a group of Austrian painters, graphic artists, sculptors, and architects, including Josef Hoffmann, Koloman Moser, Otto Wagner, and Gustav Klimt. Just the idea of that is kind of cool. Like, you know, we have our little social circle. Imagine like starting something like, you know, getting together with the half a dozen people we know, you know we're going to start this like school of thought and design and everything we're going to do is going to um, promote this style. Yeah. People are doing that these days, just not with uh, art. It's, it's, it's kind of cool to think about. Yeah. Um, I guess because there are all these things that already existed. Like they resigned from the Association of Austrian Artists. So they're already a part of this association. These associations and guilds and everything, I guess, exist. Mm -hmm. So to start one of your own, I guess, is it's not um, as, uh, you know, innovative as it, I would think of it yeah. in today's day. There's no establishment to rebel against now yeah. in terms yeah. of, you know, anything formal. Yeah, they, they were protesting against the support for more traditional artistic styles. Um, their most influential architectural work was the Secession Building, designed by uh, Olbrick, Joseph Maria Olbrick. Oh, that's, oh yeah. this is the building. Okay. Yeah. So that's in Vienna. Yeah. Yeah, very, to me, very Art Deco. Right. It, it's very, like, rectangular at the, at the bottom, and those, those, like, turrets or something that come up around the ball. Mm -hmm. No windows at all in the front. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess what happens is they they start this school, this association, and they're all working in their trade. And what comes up is um, a job, a potential job, and people submit their designs. Let's say, like, you know, the Vienna is going to build this, uh, you know, uh, you know, a municipal building or, of sorts. And so everybody submits their design. And then if they happen to win, then they, they have this, you know, head of steam behind them and they, they can now promote their, their school of thought. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess that that's, what's lacking today is anybody with an identifiable, point of view that could be traced back to, you know, a, um, a school of thought. Yeah, I guess it doesn't say what it was used for. I guess it was their building. Like that's, where, that's where they met. Huh? What's the, you see the second image? It's the, it's the ball. <laughs> close up of the ball. Yeah. It's all leaves. Yeah, they it's call like a, it the Beethoven Free or yeah, Beethoven Freeze, I think. That was designed by Klimt. Klimt. 
Yeah. The only features the Beethoven Freeze by Gustav Klimt, one of the most widely recognized artworks of secession style, a branch of Art Nouveau. Financed by Carl Wickenstein. So he had a patron. Interesting. Oh, yeah. It was the secession building was designed by Ulbrich as a venue for expositions of the group. Mm. So they had some dough behind them. Yeah. Because uh, that was not just a little clubhouse. No. In today's day and age, it would be a multi-million dollar building probably. Um, oh, yeah. You're talking tens of millions. Yeah. They had an official magazine, which is called uh, Versacrum which is sacred spring in Latin and it, which published the highly stylized and influential works of graphic arts produced by the group. Let's see some examples of secession graphic art. Hmm. Now this is pretty risque for the time, isn't it? Yeah. It's a black and white. It looks like a block print of, uh, a nude woman, a crazed nude woman holding down a man. Uh, what would, what do they call those? A, a, a succubus? Could be a succubus. Could be. Doesn't look like he, I uh, can't tell if he's enjoying what she's doing or not. <laughs> I know. But you could imagine the stir that this caused. Yeah. And... Uh, back in the first episode, we referred to macabre and erotic. Uh, oh, that was called Vampire. Oh. Yeah, 1899. And this is Beethoven, Klimt, Beethoven, Freeze. So this, this is weird. What the hell? This is by Klimt. It looks like... Uh, it's like some Salvador <laughs> Dali kind of yeah, uh, it's, bad trip. It, it does look like bad LSD trip artwork. Really kind of uh, odd juxtaposition of it's like... Gold down here. Um, like uh, darker imagery. Yeah. There's like a big gorilla. Snakes. You know, these look like intertwined snakes. Yeah. Which actually I didn't notice when I was zoomed out. Yeah. Some, you know, human bodies. Very bizarre. I didn't know uh, what kind of drugs they had back then, but. This is, some, yeah. Yeah, sort of like a zombie kind of looking women. It is odd. Is there like some Medusa kind of things with snakes in their hair? Yep. Yep. Got this bare-chested woman with a big beer belly. The Beethoven Freeze by Klimt. K-L-I-M-T. Gorilla has got like... Praised eyes. Dead white eyes with maybe one little pinprick of a pupil on the one side. And he's missing a lot of teeth. I got some kind of little ghoul down here. Yep. Skull. Very weird. Oh, man. Google, what kind of drugs was Klimt on? Yeah. So in 1905, the group itself split. When some of the most prominent members, including Klimt, Wagner, and Hoffman resigned in a dispute over priorities, but it continued to function and still functions today mm. from its headquarters in the Secession Building. That's cool. In its current form, the Secession Exhibition Galleries, independently led and managed by artists. The motto of the Secessionist movement is written above the entrance of the pavilion of the Secession Building. To every age, it's art. To every art, it's freedom. All right. I can see that. And the photo of the secession building is probably 
One of the same ones there. We got the front shot. Yeah. I want to know where that freeze is. I think that was just a painting. Oh. Because the link looked like in the in the tet in the hypertet link, it said it said freeze, yeah. yeah. But they also called this Beethoven's freeze. Yeah, huh. I think maybe that's just what he named the uh piece of art. Because yeah, it's graphic art. Okay. Unless this is middle wand. Oh, Beethoven freeze or middle wand. Might just be like a subcategory. Yeah. So secession furniture. Uh secession architects often design furniture to accompany their architectural projects, along with carpets, lamps, wallpaper, and even bathroom fixtures and towels. So you can have uh, your house designed by the same guy that uh, designs the toilet paper holder. Uh, the furniture presented by the secession at the 1900 Paris Universal Expo was particularly praised and won international attention for its creators, including Elsa Unger and Amelia Zago. Uh, all right, so the secessionists... They're movers and shakers. Later in the movement, in 1902, the architect Otto Wagner Wagner designed chairs using modern materials, including aluminum combined with wood, to match the architecture of his Austrian Postal Savings Bank building. Let's check out the Wagner chair. Yeah, so it is called Beethoven Fries Middle Wand. You can get a poster of it for five bucks. Uh, There's no information on it, though, like, it's a wild bit of artwork. Yeah. I want to know, like, the part of Beethoven Frieze. Okay, the Beethoven Frieze is a painting by Gustav Klimt on display in the Secession Building in Vienna, Austria. I see. Yeah, it's on, it's on the top of a wall. Charcoal, graphite, black, red, and colored chalk, pastel, casing colors, gold, silver. So, so that's a uh, milk paint. Gold, silver, Gilt stucco, applications, mother of pearl, buttons, brass, uniform buttons, mirror fragments, ground glass, brass curtain rings, upholstery nails, semi-precious stones, on mortar, render over reed matting. Here we go. <clears throat> this is interesting. In 1901, Klimt painted the Beethoven Frieze for the 14th Vienna Secessionist Exhibition in celebration of the composer and featured a monumental polychrome sculpture by Max Klinger. Meant for the exhibition only, the frieze was painted directly on the walls with light materials. After the exhibition, the painting was preserved, although it did not go on display again until 1986. Beethoven frieze is on permanent display in the Vienna Secession Building in a specially built, climate-controlled basement room. The frieze is large, standing at 7 feet high with a width of 112 feet. Wow. The entire work weighs 4 tons. Oh my god. Left wall, I guess this is what um, he has labeled these. Left wall, the yearning for happiness, the sufferings of weak mankind. Their petition to the well-armed strong one to take up the struggle for happiness impelled by motives of compassion and ambition. You have like a guy in armor and there's some people sort of... Uh, Begging him to. Uh huh. I love all of the, the, the meaning behind all this stuff. That the artist is really, you know, he he's not just doing the, you know, the, the painting. He's got all of this behind him that he's trying to imbue and yeah, um, display. Middle walls. This is what we were looking at. The hostile forces. Typhius, the giant, against whom even gods fought in vain, his daughters, the three Gorgons, who symbolize lust and lechery? Lechery. Lechery. Oh, like... Like being lecherous. Yeah. Uh, intemperance and gnawing care, the longings and wishes of mankind fly over their heads. Right wall, the yearning for happiness is assuaged in poetry. 
The arts lead us to the ideal realm in which we can all find pure joy, pure happiness, pure love. And a choir of angels from paradise, joy, lovely spark of heaven's fire, this embrace for all the world. Uh, yeah, so you could see the right and the left have, you know, much more, um, I'll say, positive uh, <laughs> yeah. connotations. And we were looking well, at the left, not, not oh. so it's more of like a progression. Left wall, the yearning of the yearning for happiness, the oh. sufferings of weak mankind, their petition to the well armed strong one to take up the struggle for happiness impelled by motives of compassion and ambition. Then the middle wall is the hostile forces, and the right wall is the yearning for happiness is assuaged in poetry. The art leads us to the ideal realm in which we can all find pure joy, pure happiness, oh. pure love. Interesting. It is. Hmm. Very, very bizarre. I mean, it's big. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what else? You mentioned the name Max Klinger. You know the, the show MASH, right? The TV show MASH. Oh, yeah. The guy that used to dress up like a woman to, to get a I, discharge. I really only know it by, by name. His name was Matt. His character's name was Max Klinger. I wonder uh. if. You know how he sometimes... Looks, this guy looks familiar. Yeah. Writers, you know, pull stuff out of history. Mm -hmm. like, And it's their own inside joke. Beethoven Freeze. Look it up. Oh, yeah. It's, it's definitely worth uh, educating yourself on. So this is Otto Wagner's chair. Well, after looking at that, Beethoven Freeze is pretty underwhelming, to be, to be frank. But it's aluminum and wood. Yeah. And it looks like maybe some type of upholstery. Yeah, some definitely. Velvet. I like that the back legs are, are turned 45 degrees. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's doing something they're not supposed to up there. Is that aluminum just like a, a strap? Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. It is cool. Reminiscent of, you know, kind of like the round chair, the Wagner mm -hmm. round chair. Not the same yeah. Wagner, but. Yeah, you see some Asian influence there, like, you know, the the bamboo kind of thing. Yeah. Um, in 1905, Joseph Hoffman produced an adjustable backed chair, which reflected the more geometric forms of the late secession. Hmm. Yeah. Talk about macabre. <laughs> like something they strap you to in the insane asylum. It, it, it looks like, yeah, one of the, it looks like a, kind of like a, an old fashioned wheelchair, you know, but made out of metal. Um, it does look very institutional in a, menacing kind of way right not in a spartan kind of way but in a like a futuristic dystopian way i like oh i'm sick i this looks like a nice inviting chair to sit in it looks like no like you're getting, going in this chair against your will <laughs> it's painted black it's it's really um it's fun it's fun in a in a weird kind of way yeah 1905 this is a cabinet by uh, Ulbrich, who um, designed the Secession Building. Oh, I like that. Well, it's got a very Krenov look to me. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I should say Krenov has a very Ulbrich look about him. I like those those lower doors a lot. Yeah, these are shaped. I like these inlays. Mm-hmm. It's tall, narrow piece. Uh, with like, like the cutout on the sides. Instead of it being, you know, sort of rectangular. Yeah, does that go all the way up to here, or is that a shadow? I, I think I don't know. Look, look on the inside. Does it? Uh, uh no, it stops right here. 
right? You know, they just chose to make that shape. Like even the, just that whole opening, yeah. you know, is there's, there are no straight lines in that opening. You know, which really transforms the piece. Yeah. Here's um, an armchair by Ulbricht. Same guy. <laughs> That's unusual. Yeah. This is back to more of that rectilinear kind of mm -hmm. uh, almost has an ecclesiastical kind of. Oh, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Uh, straight, straight arms, you know, like, or like the flat armrests. Yeah. And the, but the back has that trapezoidal kind of shape to yeah. it, right? Faceted sort of. You have the uh, double tapered spindles. Almost a Morris chair look to it. Mm -hmm. hmm. Here's a bookcase by uh, Coleman Moser. That's our last uh, example. Uh-oh. Wow. Uh, that's pretty cool. That, yeah, like leaning more towards the Art Deco. Mm-hmm. This looks like it's kind of a little bit beat up. Yeah. Look how these doors. Huh, they're taller than the other doors? Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. What's up with that? That's really weird. Yeah, strange uh, choice. Yeah, it looks like the, the veneers and those things are kind of tired, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of like um, missing. trumpet-shaped veneer work, you know, light and dark woods, squares. Yeah, like a square rosette kind of look. Um, sitting on some like golden colored, I don't know if it's brass or... Bright brass or yeah, uh, legs. Hmm. Very interesting. So there was twenty six pages of Art Nouveau. Yeah, wow, this episode ran longer than I thought. We're over an hour. Um, <clears throat> what what's your takeaway from the Art Nouveau period? Um, definitely some interesting stuff. A lot of it is what I associate with Art Nouveau, like the um, the Spanish and the Belgian stuff, definitely to me is what I always associated with, with Art Nouveau, those curved, mm -hmm. carved um, the sort whiplash. of forms. Yeah, not so, not even so much the whiplash, but more like the, uh, you know, the that that bench with the little alcove at the top mm -hmm. and the, the, the two hutches especially. Um, yeah. But then, like, the more rectilinear stuff, the stuff that I would associate with Art Deco, I didn't realize was from, you know, some some of it was in, during this time period. Yeah, I I enjoyed this um, almost, not, not for a shock value, that's a little bit too strong of a, a phrase, mm -hmm. but it's so, there was so much that was, like, <laughs> unusual, yeah. I'll say. And so I guess the new art uh, is a great title for it. And, um, you know, like the secessionists, their, their, um, their motto being, uh, you know, uh, every art, you know, time for every art and every art, it's freedom. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you could see it. it. They really were just trying to... Um, I guess, color outside the lines. Yeah, way outside the lines. And what started out as something that they wanted everybody to have, you could see how nobody could have this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it was true. It was fine art in the truest sense of the word. Mm -hmm. You know, something that's inaccessible to ninety nine point five percent of the population. Yeah, and it was interesting to see how like the print medium and the uh, and like what the architecture and the furniture all tried to you know sort of um, be a part of the same artistic mm -hmm. direction, like in that. That uh, that one of those last chairs, that that old brick chair that kind of looked like a, the Morris chair. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminded me of a block print in a way. Yeah, I could see that. Um, so it was it was interesting in that regard. It was definitely a a bit of a diversion for us. Yeah. Um, but that's that's what it it sort of dictated. That's what the period dictated. Mm -hmm. Um. I think when we get into um, traditional restoration, I'm not sure uh, what that's going to entail. It's probably going to be like, uh, you know, just talking about how they brought back all these styles. Yeah. It's a 30-year period. Which, even. you know, is, I mean, that's kind of been every... It's almost where we are now, right? Like, we almost never left. That well, once yeah, that I mean, every period was almost like a rehashing of the one before mm -hmm. and they just tweaked, you know, some things here and there, but yeah, well, well, t take a look at some of these and let us know what you think. Yeah. I, again, I say this all the time, but, um, if you, you know, you have the opportunity to just jot down some of these names of the artists or the artwork, it is it's something that'll take you five, 10, 15 minutes. And it's certainly worth exploring. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and if you're interested at all in making furniture or art in any way, there's some inspiring photographs. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll leave you with that. And we hope to uh, have you tune in next week. We'll be getting into uh, traditional revival, the second to last yeah. of the, uh, the periods. It's like 1920 to 1950. Well... Uh, so, yeah, if you want to help support the podcast, go get yourself some vesting finish, some bits and bits, and uh, leave us a review. Tell your friends. You can join the Patreon if you are uh, so inclined. But we thank you for listening. Be well out there, folks. We'll see you next week. Yeah.